Uprising podcast family and welcome to another episode. Thank you for all the love that everybody showed for last week's special episode which was the 2021 reggae artist must listen list. So many great works, so many great artists featured in that and I got so much love from all of you for sharing those works. So big up all of you that did that, all of you that purchased their music, watched their videos, shared their music. That was the whole purpose of that special episode to shine a spotlight on so many great artists that are uplifting all of us in these uncertain times. So I want to also give thanks to those artists for all of the hard work that they do to ensure that we are all empowered as a people. So just in case you are fresh and new to Reggae Uprising podcast, It is all about connecting people of the African diaspora through wisdom, overstanding, inspirational stories, and it is all backed by a soundtrack of sweet reggae music. So as you've heard, last week we did something a little bit special, well, a lot special. We featured those great reggae artists. So what the usual structure is for Reggae Uprising podcast is every single Wednesday, I feature a new guest who shares like I said, their wisdom, their inspiration, their journeys, and they pick seven reggae songs as the soundtrack to their story. So if you or anybody you know would like to feature in one of our upcoming episodes, all you need to do is get in touch via daniel.co. UK, where you can also find my original works as well as being the host of this podcast. I'm also a singer-songwriter, so you can check out my original music as well as my other show, which I do, which you will get the visuals for, which is a reggae uprising, which is every single Monday I cover a reggae tune to make you feel good, make you feel nice, put you on a positive vibes at the start of your week. So like I said earlier, all of that can be found via daniel.co.uk and I'll also leave that link in the description for you. Right, I think it's about time we got started with today's guest first selection, which is young, gifted and black, Bob Andy and Marcia Griffiths. Young, gifted and black Oh, what a lovely, precious dream Managing Director for Cleone Foods, also known as Island Delight Patties, who also provides mentoring for local businesses, serves on the boards of several community and business associations. I would like to welcome Wade Lynn. Greetings and welcome, Wade. Thank you for asking me to come on your show today. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Do you want to tell us the reason for that first selection that we just heard? Um, the reason for the first selection uh, that you just heard, uh, Young, Gifted and Black, um, 
obviously I'm uh, early 60s um, and I used to hear these old tunes from my mum and dad um, when we used to live in uh, a street called Martha Street in Smethwick, Worley, the West Midlands. Um, and I used to hear these old tunes. Obviously, I was I was still in my teens, uh, about between seven and nine. Um, and we used to hear all these little tunes like that. So, um, and the beat and the melody is sort of upbeat. So as little kids, you jump around um, and just uh, uh, sing the first bit of song, Young, Gifted and Black. And that's the only bit we'd know. And we'd... we'd would mind the rest of the the, the rest of the uh, song. So yes, yeah, so I grew up as I say um, way back then in the sixties. Uh, I came here in nineteen sixty six. Uh, obviously, the year England won the World Cup. Uh, my parents uh, came here um, at a tender age when I was still less than one. So they came here in the night early 60s I was born in 59 1959 um, and I remember my uh, school days um, running up and down the streets um, in the uh, in the late 60s and early 70s so you mentioned a little bit of your heritage there as I ask all of my guests as this is, this show is all about connecting people of the African diaspora can you tell us what your heritage is please? Uh, well, I'm Jamaican by birth. I was born in Jamaica um, in a little town called Chapleton in the area of Clarendon. Um, we still have our house there um, all these years. So um, I was born in Jamaica in Chapleton. I grew up in my early years when my parents came here in the six in, in the 1960 on um, uh, a very famous street called King Street in Kingston. And I was looked after by my um, my mum's sister until the age of seven when uh, they sent for me. And I can remember going, uh, obviously, to the airport and I flew to England on the old old airline called Pan Am at that time. And I had a little brown tag around my neck stating who I was. And I carried a little case. That's all I can actually remember. So, yes. Yeah. So, those are my early years uh, in Jamaica. So, as as you own a food company, and we're going to get on to that later, I have to ask you a foodie question. So, what was your favourite dish growing up? Um, to be honest, I can't remember that far back. But all I can remember, I love my Jamaican food. So... It must have been, I must have had patties in Kingston when I used to go to school around the corner. Um, so I must have had the patties. I must have had any, all the type of foods, the, the yam, the dumpling, the sweet potato. So for me, I just grew up on the, the Caribbean foods that, you, that that would be cooked there. Um, in the 60s, there wasn't much refrigeration, so we'd use the bit of a block of ice to keep things cool in um, an insulated box. Um, I can remember playing in the, in the yard in Kingston and the houses were all on stilts, um, you know, uh, so, and we used to play underneath the house as kids we do and in the yard. So, yes, yeah, so uh, all I can remember is, you know, we'd cook on the coal, the coal fire with a Dutch pot in the yard. <laughs> Well, my auntie, my auntie would, yes, so yes. And nowadays, what would you say, I don't know if you are a cook, you may not be a cook, but do you have a signature dish that you always go to? Well, I think my, my signature dish, my Caribbean dish, would probably be stewed chicken with rice and peas. Um, I'd probably say that's nice. And then I'd like my curry goat, Um but I prefer my goat boneless. I know a lot of people like um, their goat with a bit of bones, but I just believe the bones get in the way. Um, but those are the two signature dishes that I'd like, is my stew chicken with a bit of rice and peas and some um, uh, 
maybe coleslaw or pasta salad on the side. So yes, those are my signature dishes when I go to Jamaica. So is that something that you cook yourself or they're your favourites? Um, well, I don't cook that much right. <laughs> these days. Um, so those are what, those are my favourites. But generally speaking, um, I have to say mackerel is one of my other favourite dishes because uh, obviously I like I like fish and I grew up with with salted fish, um, mackerel as well as salt fish. Um, so I, I don't I can't eat ackies because I'm slightly allergic to it. I had an allergic reaction when I went back. Uh, when I was 17, and uh, I haven't ate Aki's since then. <laughs> so <laughs> do you know why you were allergic to it? Like, what what, what actually happened? Well, if you're allergic to uh, food intolerance, you come out in a rash. So um, your skin uh, comes up. Sometimes you're, you're swelling at your throat. Um, so it was by accident. I, I, I went home when I was 17. I had my friend uh, David came with me, a, a, a trainee doctor, and um, had some, a lot, used to like me ackee and saltfish, but I had the ackee and saltfish, and then about an hour later, I started to itch all over and scratch, and then obviously I realised that I may have been allergic to something, so yes, so that was one of the things that uh, I learned a big lesson when I went back to Chapleton. So do you know what, what is in the ackee that you're allergic to? Because I've not heard of anyone being allergic to ackee before. I don't know. It, it's, you see, the, the issue that you have with ackee, if it's not cooked sufficiently enough, it can be toxic to, yeah. to individuals. Yeah. So all I know, I'm allergic to ackee and I haven't tried it yet. You haven't tried it since? Life. Nope. No. I'm still well clear it just in case because obviously yeah. um, it could be toxic to me. I may not be, I may not be so sensitised now, but I don't want to take the risk just in case. Well, we're going to move on to your next selection, which is Jimmy Cliff. How do they come? Why did you pick this selection? Uh, well, Jimmy Cliff, um, I can remember um, this particular song. Um, now, obviously, being black and the film, the harder they come, the harder they fall. So when you're sitting down as a little boy watching a film and all the actors are black, you're thinking, whoa, this, isn't, this must be normal. But obviously, uh, the film was filmed in Kingston, where I grew up, and it was, it was all about, um, you know... Um, the main actor trying to to make a headway and obviously they were strifes and the police were after him and they had a chase down down the beach um which is downtown kingston um and obviously to some of the shanty towns but i love the song because um you'd you'd hear that we we'd have the gunshots the little kids would uh would actually put up their finger and we'd like shoot after each other as if we're in the film. So that's one of the things I loved about Jimmy Cliff, the harder they come. Um, it was just fabulous that um, all the actors were, were black and all the uniforms, the police uniforms, were just like how I saw it back in Jamaica. So I just felt at home. <laughs> at, that, at that young age, it was just, you know, um, I was just thinking, well, it's just like being in Jamaica. Here we go with Jimmy Cliff. How did they come? Sure as the sun will 
tell us, what were your experiences at school in the UK? Was it a good time for you, a bad time for you? What was it like? I think the experience at school was a good time for me. Um, I know um, I lived in a particular area um, that, uh, unbeknown to me, uh, in 1966, uh well, I came here in 66, but in 1965, a very famous man called Malcolm X visited Marshall Street. Um, I wasn't living there. I, I, wasn't, I, wasn't in, I wasn't in the UK at the time, but Malcolm X came to that particular street. Now, um, it's only years afterwards that I realised that Marshall Street was quite significant, uh, like you have Brixton and in Birmingham, the blacks would come to the uh, Birmingham and we would um, live in and around Marshall Street because you always wanted to live near other people uh, of colour. Um, so that's one of the key things. So, And my school was probably half a mile from where I live. Um, and I can remember growing up with multicultural um, kids on the same school. I had an Asian friend, friend called Amrick who told me about Malcolm X. Um, I had a local um, Catholic church on the same road on Marshall Street. And I used to go there. I joined the Boy Scouts as a, as a, uh, a little one. And then I graduated up to the, 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 the seniors. So for me, it was a fabulous time. Um, I, I, you know, I just enjoyed school um, and I just loved school. You know, every day was was fabulous um, and school was walking distance. We just, I can't remember mum and dad carrying me to school. I could just walk to school from where I was. So I just crossed the road and I'd just pick up all my friends on the road and we'll all go to school together. And I just love school. Um, I think the thing for me at school, because... I was from Jamaica, um, and it's only when I went to senior school that I, I was uh, teamed up with others, uh, other, other black boys. That um, I was played in the, I was in the football team, the basketball team, and the athletics team. Um, I went to uh, senior. I went to, a, I went to Devonshire Road Junior School, and then we went off to. Um, uh, Holly Lodge, not Holly Lodge, um, Smedical Boys School. And at that stage, the boys' school um, was just had its own swimming pool. <laughs> now, to me, to have your own swimming pool on, on the school grounds was fabulous. So I learned to swim. But more so, um, I learned to swim. I got all my um, uh, medals uh, in swimming. So at least I could swim and, and save other people's life. But it was a fabulous time at school. Um, there were some issues about colour, but I, I didn't carry that forward. Um, but all I can remember, we had, um, uh, I could say 80% of the black boys in the school were in the basketball team. Um and in the athletics team, it was 50-50. One of the boys in school, in my school, went on to Seoul Olympics called Dennis Stewart. Uh, and he got a bronze at the Olympics there. And he now coaches um, the British judo squad. And his son is hopefully going to Tokyo uh, this year. So um, school was fabulous. Um, I can remember all the teachers... Um, you know, spurring us all on. Um, and the year that I left, I left a few records um, in the school book about my running, uh, 400 metres, 200 metres, 100 metres. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed those school days. So did you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but so did you experience any racism? And if you did... Um, did you have the racism talk with your parents beforehand or afterwards? And, and how did you deal with that? <laughs> I think I can't remember sitting down and talking to my parents about racism. 
I can remember the boys on the playground would would comment about my colour, um, which, which was fine because obviously I had a permanent tan and they didn't have a tan themselves. And I think I used to poke fun at them and said, well, um, at least I'd have to pay for my tan. Um, I'd have to go to Spain to get a tan. But I didn't, I didn't felt we had any racism there. Um, because I, I don't know whether it's because I was as a I wasn't a big boy at the time, um, but uh, Denny Stewart he was a big lad, so I never I only got into a fight once, um, and that's all I had. I was a prefect at the senior school as well, so I didn't really experience what you might call racism as such. Like you know. Um, no, no, nobody actually spat at me. They didn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't involved in any fights. I was, you know, always um, doing the lesson, but I always had to get home to cook the dinner. <laughs> so, so whereby you would stay afterwards at school, if I didn't have to stay for any sporting events, I'd have to go home and finish the dinner. Um my parents uh, had a petrol station in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, so I had to work in the petrol station after going to school. So one of the key things I remember was finishing school, rushing home, and then I had to brown the chicken. Uh, so mum would fry it in the morning before going to work, leave it on the fire, then I had to come home, brown the chicken, put the rice on to make sure the rice is cooked. And then when I was finished, I then had to um, go and work in the petrol station where mum and dad were. So before we move on to your next selection, can you tell us who were your role mod models when you were growing up? I think my, my role models were, um, I, had a one, I had a role model when, I had a pe when we had a petrol station. I used to meet a lot of policemen that came uh, and I just thought they were just friends of, of my dad. Uh, but in later years, uh, we had at least three of them that was very good friends. So I had a gentleman called Harry Bloomer. Uh, I can remember at the age of 14 and I think I was a, I was a little bit down and crying my eyes out and he, and he said, what's the matter, Wade? And he said, uh, well, I'm worried about a certain problem. And I can always remember his words. He said, Wade, he said, only worry about the things that you can affect. Don't worry about the things you can't affect. And I've always carried that um, philosophy with me that I can only worry about the things that I can do and help other people to do. I can't um, worry about... I'll give an example. You can't worry about the state of um, the, uh, the interest rates or the dollar against the pound, you know, those are out of your control. But I could worry about paying the bills or other things that are closer to me. So that that was one of my role models uh, was that. Um, I think the other role models were, were kids at school. Um, and I remember one lad, he had the opportunity to play for West Bromwich Albion. Um, and he went on to be a professional footballer for three or four years. Um, but apart from that, um, I didn't have that many role models because I was mainly busy with my schoolwork at home around the table, dinner table. And then um, I was busy uh, working at my mum and dad's garage. We're going to move on to your next selection, which is you can get it if you really want, Desmond Decker. Why did you pick this selection? Um, I picked this selection because um, as I was going through school, I was interested in athletics. Um, and uh, you could call my role model was a gentleman called Mac. Uh, and he was my coach. And um, you can get if you really want it. Inspired me to say that, he's always say, Wade, you have to work harder, train harder. And the more you train, the better you are and the better you're equipped. So that song 
uh, reminisce to me is that I know that the harder you work, the easier it gets. And for me, that's what I always try and say. So you're not born with with the with the gifts of reading, writing, and all the other things that you do in life. You have to learn to read and you have to learn to write. And the more you read, the more you get better at things. And for me, it's that practice makes perfect. Um, so that's one of the key things that I like about this particular song is that, um, you know, the harder, the harder you work, the better you get at it. Here we go with Desmond Decker. You can get it if you really want. 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 But you must try, try and try, try and try. You succeed at last. journey from adolescence to starting your own business um well as i mentioned earlier i came here in 1966 to be with my mum and dad and my little sister who was born here um and um i went to um uh a secondary modern uh, or academy nowadays we'd call it um a local school the grammar school um, even backed on to where I used to live, uh, the, one of the entrances was from Holly Lodge Grammar School, backed on to Marshall Street. Um, so what I did, um, I went from uh, Devonshire Road Junior School then to uh, Smedicore Boys School. Um, I could say I was with my parents having a petrol station in the 70s. Um, to me, it was normal, but to everybody else around me it wasn't normal um and i can remember the days i used to uh fill car fill a car up for a pound um now everybody listening would how can you fill a car up for a pound bear in mind petrol was 18 pence a gallon not not where it is now at four pound 85 a gallon so i i would just work at the petrol station fill the cars up for a pound um and you know with I'd get little tips from them. But for me, um, that grounding that I had with my parents, um, that I had to, you know, work every day, has laid me in good stead with the business. Um, but we still had to go to church on a Sunday. And the, the thing that I most enjoyed in school was to do as much as I could with my studies as well as external studies. So at Smedical Boys School, I was fortunate to um, do um, Gold Duke of Edinburgh. I know uh, the Duke of Edinburgh is in hospital at the moment, but for getting the Gold Duke of Edinburgh, excuse me, you, you'd be able to go to Buckingham Palace and meet the Duke of Edinburgh. Um, that was a very proud time for me when... Um, the invitation came after I received the gold trick of Edinburgh and it could only take one parent. So dad said, take your mom to Buckingham Palace. So that's what I did. Um, so that was, I went to Buckingham Palace at the age of 17. Um, and that was a highlight for me. And I've recently got a few photographs of that. Um, but while growing up, 
I think the, my parents stressed that education, education, education. So, you know, they were too busy um, working to get ahead, but they wanted to make sure that all of us had a good education. Um, so once I'd left school, I had to go to college to do my A-levels. Um, so I did a, a, a couple of A-levels um, at uh, the new grammar school, Holly Lodge Grammar School. And then from there, I did a one-year course at Birmingham Polytechnic um, in art and design, um, foundation art and design. After leaving that course, I got uh, onto um, a course in Leeds doing industrial design, which was designing cars, because um, that's where I was selected. In those days, um, to be a, a black student, there weren't that many of you, so I was quite uh, proud to, to be there um, and to, you know, um, liaise with other black students there. Um, and that was a fabulous time that I had at university. Um, and I can remember um, while I was at university, um, set up our own club around what you might call a Caribbean club. Um, and we would uh, go to venues like the Hacienda Club in Manchester to watch bands. Um, and it was a fabulous time uh, at university. And then um, I then took a further course in in um, craft design technology, which was woodwork, metalworks, and plastics, uh, to be a teacher. Um, so those are my early years. And then um, once I graduated, I had a job working for at the time I didn't realise my uncle um, in Wolverhampton making patches at a company called Comlon Caterers. They now um, the company's called the Original Patty Company, um, and I can remember working for them in the holidays. Um, you know, I'd, I'd get a holiday job and I'd, I'd be eating patties for uh, breakfast, dinner, and tea uh, with a bit of tomato ketchup, uh, and those were just fabulous, glory days. You know, I just thoroughly enjoyed um, school and university. So I, I look look back and thinking I learned so much. Um, while I went to Leeds, I chose Leeds because I wanted to continue my athletics career. Um, so uh, Leeds has got a, a, an athletics college at the time called Leeds Carnegie. Leeds Carnegie was second to Loughborough College. So I I enjoyed being in Leeds to be able to study, but also train for my athletics. Um, at this stage in my career, um, all the other big athletes were there. Steve Ovet, Steve Cram, Daley Thompson, Steve Ovet. Um, so those are my peers and my heroes, you know, especially Daley Thompson. Um, so I went to Leeds partly to study, but partly to train a little bit harder to be try and be a world-class athlete. Having left university, I think around about 1986, um, I worked for my, um, my uh, cousin, um, my second cousin, Mr. Young, at his patty factory in Wolverhampton, um, which I did, it gave me the, the skill set uh, and, the, and then the aspiration to actually do it myself. I then left there. I did three years working there as the manager, and I left that particular company. I set up Tione Foods with a brand name Island Delight. Um, now, bearing in mind in the mid-'80s, obviously, um, Jamaican food was still coming up. Um, I did ask my parents... Um, to, to say, look, is it okay if I open a patty factory? Um, and they uh, kindly gave me a small fund of 4850 to help me set up this business. Um, but by then, my father had... Um, we closed the garage down. My father had gone back to Jamaica. 
uh, and he'd taken with him um, some lorries and some diggers, JCB, which to go to the construction business in Chapleton and the surrounding areas, and left my mum here with the petrol station, which we eventually sold, um, sold up, and my mum went back um, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, she's, she's still she's still there and she's still living. Um, so I, I did my apprenticeship at the company in Wolverhampton, and in 1989, I set up uh, my company in, um, in Birmingham after the riots. So the riots took place around uh, 1988 um, um, along Rookery Road, Handsworth. Uh, not Rookery Road, Handsworth. Um, not the Rookery Road. Um, took place in Handsworth. I, can, I know the street. And I set up a factory probably a mile, less than a mile away from where the riots took place. Um, and that's where I got a grant from the government, from the Department of Trade and Industry, which is the DTI at the moment, to create jobs in those areas. Um, so I did set my business up in the eight, 1989, uh, and it was probably coming up to the recession period. So can you give us an insight into your food company today? Um, my food company today... Um, <laughs> It's grown uh, in inception for the last 30 years. Um, when I set up the business way back in 1989, we only had five staff. Um, and we probably produced around between five and 8,000 patties, depending on our customer profile. Um, and now we, we, uh, we have 70 staff and we've produced over 160, 180,000 patties a week. Um, the client base at the time, at the very beginning, was uh, local fish and chip shops. Um, so for me, I could get credit, sell the patties for cash, get the cash in, and then pay the bills. Um, the, the, the customer base now are the major supermarkets. So same as our biggest supermarket, followed by uh, Morrison's, uh, Asda, Co-op and Iceland. Those are our, our big supermarket chain that we deal with. Um, and, you know, we the factory runs from 6 in the morning till sometimes 10 o'clock at night. Um, so it's grown. We are the biggest manufacturer in the UK. Um, one of the things that I've, has taught me is to get the, the high standards possible. So we operate with a food standard called British Retail, BRC, British Retail Consortium. Um, so that's the highest food standard you can have in the UK. So it, it's far and above the five stars that you'd have on the door. Um, so, for instance, we have four people in our technical department that looks after all, all any food issues from customer complaint to quality. We visit factories that they produce from and we do audits of our third parties. We're going to move on to your next selection, which is Desmond Decker Israelites. Can you tell us why you chose this selection? The Israelites um, was a song that, uh, because I lived in Smedic, was uh, one of the songs that they played at West Bromwich football ground, the Israelites. Um, my, my cousin Kenny was a DJ at the time, and that's one of the one of the songs that, that was always playing. Um, so that reminds me of my cousin who was DJing. And occasionally I'd go along, but I was too young at that stage. But uh, the Israelites is one of the songs that's played um, in the background at West Bromwich Football Grounds. So that was one of the one of the songs that I remember from those days when I was younger. Here we go with Desmond Decker, Israelites. Get up in the morning, slaving for bread, sir. So that every mouth can be fed. Oh, me Israelites. Get up in the morning, slaving for bread, sir. So that every mouth can be fed. Oh, 
Can you tell us three things that you wish you'd known about running your own business? Maybe it might help out some uh, budding entrepreneurs. Um, I think one of the one of the things that I'd learned. Um, I was fortunate that I had um, you could call Busy's Angels. Um, I was going to buy some equipment, and I met up these two other directors. And it was a bit like Dragon's Den. So I said, look, I'd like to buy some equipment to make some patties, um, which they kindly sold me the equipment. But they said to me, instead of buying the equipment, how about if we took shares in your company? And I thought, hmm. And they said, that way, then, you won't have to spend the money to buy the equipment. Uh, we'll buy into your company. And then as you make the money, then you can pay for the equipment. Um, now, at the time... I thought about it, and, and I went with them. But I think one of the things which is always hard for most people in business, it's a lonely being the head of your company. Um, and I find that the, the key thing is to sit down and discuss things with other people that are in business. But it may not be in your business because you can sound people out and they'll have different experiences from yourself. And that's one of the key things I say to anybody is have a have a peer-to-peer mentoring group that you can talk to and discuss things because it's lonely running your business. But if you've got a set of people who are in business, when you all get together, they will have had experience that you may not have and they will give you knowledge that is relatively free that you can actually use later on. So that's one of the key things I say to everybody is have a peer-to-peer mentoring group. Um, in Birmingham, um, I'm part of a peer-to-peer mentoring group called the 12-8 group, and that's with six uh, black business that get together once a month and we discuss about our business and how we can move our business forward Um so that's been going over 18 years now and it's been the best thing that I've done and the other um, black businesses have, have done and it includes a very old company called Sunrise Bakery we still talk about how to develop your business um, within within the digital era now uh, on the internet and how to use that so that's one of the key things I would always say to anybody is, discuss and talk things through with other like-minded people. We're going to move on to your next selection, which is Three Little Birds, Bob Marley. Why did you pick this selection? Um, Three Little Birds. I can remember this, the album Exodus, Three Little Birds. Um, And it always comes to me, it says, don't worry about a thing. Um, because everything will be all right. So whenever, you know, a problem comes, you're always worrying about it. Uh, but but as you get older, you know, you sleep on it, and the next day um, the ideas crystallize and you've got a better way of doing things. And that always comes to m- my mind. And as I said earlier, my friend, Mr. Bloomer, a policeman, and I'm still friends with this policeman, some 45 years later um and he's he's it's he taught me a lot of things about don't worry about a thing so what i say to everybody if you're constantly worrying about something you need to talk it over with a third party and they will have a a, a perspective a different perspective but will help you make that decision um whether wrong right or indifference um, and that's that's that song that, that that comes to my mind. Here we go with Three Little Birds, Bob Marley.
us three food industry facts that the average person might not know? Um, three uh, food facts that the average person might not know. Um, well, in my industry, Jamaica, um, Jamaican patties are the fast food in Jamaica, equivalent to Cornish pasties here. Um, and a lot of um, uh, English people might prefer probably Caribbean foods because it may not be as spicy as the Asian Indian curry or that sort of thing. Another thing that that in the early days people assumed curry patties were the same as a curry, an Indian curry. So one of the facts is that uh, I always had to explain what a curry patty was um, and that's one of the things that has come about. So my current business card is made in the shape of a patty uh, with the same colour and everything. So the the card will tell a thousand words to say exactly what I do. Uh, and that's always been helpful in um, opening the door to further opportunities. Um, the other thing that uh, I probably need to say, everybody, uh, Scotch bonnet is um, obviously a staple um, item in Jamaica, which is one of the hottest, hottest peppers in the world on the Schofield scale. And a lot of people may not know that Scotch bonnet do come from Jamaica and it's the weight grown in the soil and the amount of sun that makes that uh, the pepper so hot. We're going to move on to your next selection, which is Eric Donaldson, Land of My Birth. Can you tell us about why you chose this selection? Uh, Land of My Birth um, relates to, I'm Jamaican by birth, and also um, I've been bestowed to be the Honorary Consul in 2013 by the Jamaican government. But it, um, it tells me that about Jamaica, um, and every time I hear it, I think of my home, my home in Jamaica and the rocky roads uh, that were, were about. Um, and everything to me in Jamaica is always green, no matter how much sun there is. Whenever you look in the countryside, when I drive through, everything is always green. And that's what I, I, I think about it. I think about the flag of Jamaica and and the, the, the lyrics that it says. So I'm always patriotic about my own country. Um, and anybody will tell you, if you're Jamaican, and there's a Jamaican athlete and a British athlete running in the race, you want the Jamaican one to win, not the British. But if there's no Jamaican and a British, you'd like him to win instead. <laughs> so that's the way I, I see that song. Here we go with Eric Donaldson, Land of My Birth. insight into your other works apart from Cleone Foods? Um, well, my other works, um, I was fortunate um, to uh, be given the opportunity to help my community 
at my Jamaican community. Um, so in way back in, in the 70s in Birmingham, we used to have a passport office at Scala House um, in the town centre. Now, that closed down in the early 80s. Now, Scala House was equivalent to the Jamaican embassy in London, or it's called a consulate if you're in the British, um, the British Empire. Um, so in 2013, um, the Jamaican government bestowed onto me um, to open up um, an outpost of the Jamaican uh, uh, consulate. So my other work is, um, and my other work is to be the Jamaican consul for Birmingham and surrounding areas. What that means is, at the factory that where we produce patties, the reception area is turned over to the consular team on a Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday between the hours of, of nine and two. Um, and we process Jamaican passports. I'm authorised to sign documents on behalf of the Jamaican government. So you can apply for your TRN, um, you can come there and I can verify any documents that you've got to relate to um, possibly um, any land that your uh, parents may have left you or relatives may have left you. So um, I do what you might call um, notary public. Um, so, so that office there is run um, primarily for the community. Um, we charge uh, what we call a nominal fee of £8 administration charge, which is to pay for the volunteers. So the company pays for uh, the conscious secretary, uh, Monica, and then we have at least six or seven volunteers that volunteer the time on a Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. They come in and they will man the office, the reception, and will go through any issues that you might have in filling the forms in to um, uh, making sure that your children or you, or the grandchildren can get a Jamaican passport. So we've had occasions whereby a young lad wants to play in the Jamaican rugby team. So the parents come in and as long as you can show your mother's birth certificate um, and your, your grandmother's birth certificate to say that, then that young boy gets his passport and then he can go off and play for Jamaica in the in the Jamaican rugby team. Um, so that's one of my uh, jobs that I do. I do represent the Jamaican government if I have um, dinner engagements as far north as Preston, Manchester, um, Leeds, um, Huddersfield. So I will go around and... Um, Raise, raise the Jamaican flag at these events. Uh, that's one of my role. Um, I did sit on the board of uh, Birmingham Assey office uh, a few years ago. Um, that office um, would assay, and assay would mean that you'd have to stamp on gold and silver the, uh, the, um, the purity of the gold and the purity of the silver. I did a role there. I did work for Heart, and Heart FM and Galaxy FM after um, they took over um, the station, the, the, the Black Station. Um, the Black Station um, at the time in the late 80s. Um, that's other role. Um, I do sit on other charity boards such as Crete Green in West Bromwich, I've done that for the last 15 years. Um, I currently sit on uh, another charity board called the Birmingham, the Birmingham uh, Commonwealth Association. Um, please don't get it mixed up with the Commonwealth <laughs> Games. We're a charity and they're obviously delivering the, um, the Commonwealth Games. Um, so that's what I, I currently do as well as run my my brand Island Delight. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time as you're such a busy man um, to be on this week's episode. We're going to finish with your final selection, which is Ken Booth, Everything I Own. Can you tell us about why you chose this final selection? 
Um, everything I own is um, is really down. As I say, uh, I chose this this selection because I always think that um, you go through life and you might have opportunities to increase um, your knowledge and uh, your wealth. And I think one of the things that came to me is that in 2013, uh, when I was awarded the CB by the Queen, I flew to Jamaica just to tell my mum and dad personally that um, that I, I received this honour. Uh, and it was one of the, the highlights of my of my career, I should say. And uh, my father later died uh, that summer. And it just brings back then to say, you know, you'd give up everything you own to have that time to talk with your departed parents before they departed. And it brings back memories that uh, when my father was a politician as an MP for the Jamaican Labour Party, uh, sorry, the People's National Party, not the Jamaican Labour Party, the People's National Party. But we went out and we campaigned together. And those are fun times that I went with my dad and supported my dad on the campaign trial when he was, um, when he won two terms in um, the, the, the People's National Party under the Prime Minister PJ Patterson. And I was proud of him doing it because he came out and stood up for the local people. And that's one of the songs that has a poignant memory for me is that um, it's just whatever you've got, you know, um, the people around you are the most important thing. It's not what you've got or what you perceive that you've got. It's the people that make everything and make the world a better place. Well, thank you again for your time today. I do really appreciate it. And I hope everybody has enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Make sure you're right back here next Wednesday for a fresh and new episode. I'm going to leave you with the sounds of Ken Booth, Everything I Own. As always, blessed love. You sheltered me from harm, kept me warm, kept me warm. You gave my life to me, set me free, set me free. Just to talk to you